Welcome to the Mind Wealth Podcast. Hello, how's it going? Today we are going to talk about um, something that's happening right now and over the past year. You know, so we've had the pandemic in 2020, uh, and now we're into January of 2021. And you know, there's there's no um, direct end in sight for how all this is going to happen. There's vaccines, there's all these things happening, but we want to talk about the economy. We want to talk about money. And, um, you know, all of last year, there's tons and tons of um, government subsidies that went out to help everyone get through because so many people lost their jobs. So many people had to just stay home and and all that stuff. And a lot of people needed help. So, you know, some people could get 2000 bucks a month. Some people got a little bit less. Some people were on EI. Some people were on the CERB. Some people were on wage subsidies based if you had a, a business and stuff like that. You could get the wage, wage subsidies for your employees. So all this money came from the government and was flooded into the market to everybody. But where did the money really come from? Well, I think, you know, if we were to boil it down, it came from two places. It either came from the government borrowing the money from somewhere, or it came from the government creating the money. Literally either printing money or with the of keyboard creating the money. So what happens when they create money is the value of the doll that you have right now becomes less because now there's more money in circulation. So we kind of talked about this in the last episode to do with crypto and that the fact that there's only a max amount of Bitcoin that can be created, whereas there is no maximum amount of Canadian dollars that could be created. They could just keep creating There's no more. ceiling. There's no limit. There's no ceiling. It's not based on something that, that has a ceiling. So that's really tough when you think about, okay, well, everything that they did last year really helped people out to get through the year, but it is severely damaging to everything into the future. It's severely damaging to your buying power with your dollar and to the amount of money that our children's children are going to have to pay for um, down the road because um, that money is, is owed in a debt or it has um, been created, um, well, to be a, a larger number because of inflation. That's what I'm trying to say, is that the inflation rate, um, I, I'm sure, will be calculated you know, from of what last year was, and it'll be way more than it's ever been. I don't, I don't know that it could be. Um, there could be any times in the past where it was, where it was um, more for whatever reason, but maybe Alan would know a little bit more about that. But what can we do right now to protect ourselves from that kind of a situation? Because we know that that's not going to stop this year. The government's still going to be push, pushing out a ton more subsidies and all these things. The value of our dollar is going to drop. So what do we do? Who has, a, who has an answer? That's a good question. And I don't know if there's any one right answer. We have a lot of economists out there who have opinions, but they're not business people, they're economists. And I don't necessarily put a whole lot of weight in economists. You've got the government of Canada who's given the authority to the banks to control the money supply. And so the banks create money, they print money, the Bank of Canada, and then they issue money to the bankers to say, here's your authority to, to lend money, lending money that they don't have. 
and uh, our government, our federal government, goes to them and says, well, we need to borrow money. Interest rates are as low as we've ever seen, so money's cheap. So we don't feel so bad about borrowing a trillion dollars in 2020 because the cost of borrowing is, it's, it's about as cheap as we've ever seen. But what they're doing is borrowing money that, that was created out of nothing, which is devaluing the current dollars that we have in our pocket, in our bank accounts, in our, in our safe, wherever we have our money invested. And so that's, that's a significant impact on our lifestyles because what took a certain amount of dollars a year ago, it's gonna take that much more this year to give you the same thing, whether it's groceries or filling up your car or going on a holiday if we could travel, all of those things. So the focus changes because we don't seem to have any control over what they're doing with this whole system. So we have to, what can we do? This is where we look at our own financial situation and say, well, what can we do to reduce taxation? What can we do to reduce the amount of inflation that we're experiencing? And a lot of it we don't have much say over. They're, they're creating it and we just live with it. There's other places we can put our money that's going to protect what we have. So it won't be exposed to taxation, it won't be exposed to erosion, and earning us a half-decent rate of return as well while it's at work. There's not many places for you to put your money to do that. And I've been a proponent of uh, storing some of your family's wealth in your home as equity in your house that's accessible. So I'm talking about a line of credit. Specifically, I, I love Manulife One, TD has TD Powerline, the credit union has their equity line. I'm sure every bank has home equity line of credit. A home equity line, uh, HELOC it's called, yeah. home equity line of credit to access some of that equity in your house. However, when you're retired and your income is relatively low, going trying to put a mortgage or a line of credit on your house becomes exceedingly difficult and challenging, especially if you're on fixed income and especially if you've established a fair amount of credit already it's difficult to access that. So what, what, what does that mean? It means your house rich and cash poor. For a lot of people, it means their home is their biggest savings account and they can't access it because you got the house and the bank got the money. Unless they sell the house. Unless they sell the house. So this brings up another strategy that Anthony has uh, uh, discovered here in the last couple of weeks that he's laid on me. And it's, it's blown me away. Like I'm, I'm shaking my head thinking, man, I've been studying this stuff for 25 years. And all of a sudden, here's a whole new way of looking at things. And we, we've discovered some other things in the last eight years that's changed how we do business as well. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to let Anthony explain um, this concept or the strategy about looking at something we've always looked at, but looking at it from a different perspective. Yeah, so <clears throat> I first off, I wanted to highlight that um, when it comes to fiat currencies, which is what we live with right now where there's no limit to how much they can print and there is no um there's nothing backing it like uh we used to have the gold current gold back currency up until 71 or 72 and um every single fiat currency in existence ever has went to zero every single one there's not one fiat currency that had no limit to it that ever survived it's always went to zero so there will come a time when the currency we know today goes to zero because it's not sustainable you cannot print money till oblivion 
and expect you to ever catch up because every dollar put into existence by the government is payable plus interest. Where does the interest come from? Well, they have to print more money to pay the interest and it's just, it's literally a cycle and it just continues and it will only grow more and it will, our value of our money will only go down. It, there's no way around it. It is not sustainable and we can't get out of it. So we need to find ways to maximize the dollars we have and to find ways to keep up with inflation through our investments and through our, our the ways and the vehicles we choose to save our money in. So when it comes to housing, um, I was listening to a guy named Grant Cardone, which is a, he's a huge real estate guy in the US. And he was on the London Real web, uh, website where I was watching an interview with him. And he said something that hit me in the stomach, like someone just punched me. And I was like, holy crap, that's so true. So he said that mortgages and housing was literally created by the banks to, to provide a vehicle to sell more money. The banks were sitting around going, man, how do we, how do we give these people more money? Where do we find like where do we find the vehicles that, that we can we can sell them more money to make more interest? How do we do this? So they came up with the idea that well the American dream, everybody deserves to have a home. Doesn't matter, you know, all the middle class, everybody deserves to own a home. <laughs> you deserve that. That's part of your right to be a Canadian or an American, and that's part of the dream is to own a home. That was only a tactic to sell more money so that they could sell mortgages and get more control of the money supply and make more money on interest. It was created by the, by the banks as a vehicle. The same thing with um, university and college. Everybody deserves an education. Look at how much friggin' debt is in education. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And how much interest that is paid to the banks on that. It was literally created by the banks to sell more money to people. So when you come back to looking at owning a house, Grant says you should never own one door. Personally, as, as, a, as an individual, I should never own a house that only has one unit in it that I, that I live in and pay for. And I was like, what? What do you mean? So then he went into this story of how it's all a lie and it was just created by the banks to sell more money. And I was like, okay. I'm like, oh, well then, our, everything we've been told is that our banks are the best place, or our houses are the best place to store our money. It's the safest place to store money. Uh, it grows um, exponentially over 20, 30 years. I get if it. If you own a house, it's, it's, you've been told a lie the entire time. So he said, you should be focusing on buying properties that create income. So not only owning them personally, you want to own them in a business and you want to generate income first. Don't, don't like, just rent, rent for yourself. This is a completely new way of thinking. This is going to sound ridiculous, but you want to rent for yourself and your family and you want to put every little bit of money you can that you want to invest in real estate you want to put that into a company and buy real estate with it that starts generating income, having more units that buy more um, and 
and try not to think small. Try not to think two units in a property. Try to try to get enough money together and scrounge it together as much as you can so you can buy something a little bit larger, maybe like a fourplex or or an eightplex, and then start working your way up, getting more and more units, right? And then when you get to a point where you have enough income coming in and you can afford to put a down payment on a either a house just for yourself and your family or a house that has a suite in it or something like that because it a house is not an asset if it's not paying for itself by someone else if you are paying for your house it is not an asset for you it is should be considered as a liability the banks don't say that or don't count it as that but it should be a liability because you are not making money on that house you are every bit of income you take is paying towards that house and to keep it in your name and you don't even own the house the bank owns the house so they're just allowing you to to have the money to stay in it and if you ever pay it back the house could still be taken away if you don't keep up on your taxes yeah. so that's one of the things that um is really good for people that are just beginning as well too that aren't able to do all of these things or, or you know don't have the capital to do that is something like airbnb that has where all of a sudden you can you can get your house to a point where maybe it is almost paying for itself from you renting out that airbnb last year i made just about twenty thousand dollars on my airbnb and that more than paid for all of my mortgage payments and then a bunch of other stuff um the house still cost me money overall because of heating because of electricity because of all the other expenses and stuff like that but at least the the lending side of it was completely paid for by my airbnb and mm -hmm. so that's a really huge step to think about getting to that point and if you can scale that bigger with you know more things now you also said too you know you should never uh, own your own house you should be renting it but like i think the the key to that statement is, is that you should be renting it from like yourself. Yeah. Or you should be renting it from your company that owns that house. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the company, the, the should company buy owns it. that house and then mm -hmm. you're renting it from that house. Right. So you're, you're that way there's all these people out there that are going to, they're going to jump in and say, well, you know, it makes way more sense for you to own a house. Cause then you can pay the same amount of money to that as you would for rent to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we're talking about actually owning the house. Your, your, your company owns the house. And you're paying rent to it. Mm -hmm. And then the company is the one that's going out there buying more assets, creating more income from all those things. It's a, it's a crazy idea. So now we're getting way off topic from like the idea of, of the currency devaluing right now. But at the same time, the idea of putting your putting your money into the housing market is is somewhere where it can retain more value. It can still retain more value because as inflation happens people will pay more for rent because that's how everything is going to work everything's going to cost more everyone's going to make more the the minimum wage is going to go up because it has to and all this stuff because the government's printing more money and then you're able to charge more for your rent so the amount that you're making in a, in a profit from ha from having your money in real estate is going to keep going up over time as well mm -hmm. so that's like important on that on that side of it so the, the highlight part that I'm trying to make is that owning your house personally and having your money stored in there, your excess money, it's not a good place to store your excess money. So who's got the money? The bank has the money. 
Right. What are they doing with it? They're lending it out 10 times whatever you put in. Exactly. You put in $10 so for everything. Your money that you put into uh, your re real estate, and you're at the whim of the market when it comes to your real estate, whether it goes up, goes down, or does anything, uh, only on paper, because there's no real value changing hands unless you actually sell. I even thought at one point if you refinance and take some of that equity out, but all you've done is you've created a loan. Mm -hmm. You didn't, you're no wealthier. You had to borrow that money from the bank. Yeah, and, and they're people, still charging you interest on it's, that. It's so funny how people are viewing the increase, like, like let's say Terrace, for example. I've got some family out there, and, and their house prices went up $100,000 over year over year from 19 to 2020. $100,000. And some of them were like, wow, house prices have done so well. We're so much wealthier. They're not any wealthier. And you have to look at that money that went up in value, their taxes went up as a result of it, and everything else has gone up, but there's no more money in their bank account. Even if that house is paid for, it's still a liability, not mm -hmm. an asset. Why? Because you got the building with all the expenses, the taxes, the insurance, the city utilities, the gas bill, the hydro bill, the TV, the cable, internet, you're still paying all those expenses, maintenance, breakdowns, new roof, new windows, you're paying for all those things. That's a liability. It's taking money out of your pocket, and you've got nothing putting any money back in. And who's got all your money? The bank. They're putting your money to work because they have it. So there's the key. We want to get that money back where we can put it to work instead of the right. bank. Mm -hmm. Hence our passion and focus for becoming your own banker. It's about strategizing to figure out ways of getting our own money back where we can put it to work for us and preserve or to grow the value of it rather than keep handing it off to somebody else to use and they're making their living with it they're 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 growing it they're exp investing it they're you know they're using the money where we should be using it mm -hmm. so this is a huge shift in 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 thinking it's a huge shift in what i was taught over all the years and as a financial advisor and a certified financial planner designation and all the things that go along with that we're being told to do business the way most of us have been doing it for years, but we've discovered now that that what the, what the deal is and the challenges that we're facing with it, and we need we figured out some ways to do something different about it. We're not the norm. There's very few people out there talking about, you know, getting control of your debt and managing it instead of putting money in RSPs. There's nobody talking about, you know, um, unifying your debt and, and and getting that under control and keeping more of what you're earning. They're all, they're all some government program that somebody's designed for us to part us and our money. Mm -hmm. And the bankers are obviously a big player in this because try get along without a, uh, without a banker, without financing access mm -hmm. or capital. You, nothing happens. Everything comes to a grinding halt. So we have to learn how to play within the system as well as do what's best for us instead of everybody else who seems to be benefiting from from all of our harder hard work because we put up all the risk, we put up all the money, and somebody else is, is um, enjoying the, the proceeds from most of it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's time we started doing it. Right. So how do we preserve what we have? How do we protect what we have? Or at least put our money someplace that can keep pace with inflation. Keep pace or be better than inflation. That's the thing, figure out what that is. Okay, let's look at, let's look at an actual example. We have groceries, and the federal government says we're going to add a carbon tax on to fuel. 
And so the fuel companies say, well, we're just going to add that onto the customer that buys the fuel from us because we're not going to eat it. We're not paying for it. So mm-hmm. they pass it on to the, the, the gas stations or the fuel bulk, bulk plants. And, of course, they pass it on to the truck driver who's driving the truck or the owners of the trucking companies. And they're saying, well, we're not going to eat this. That's not going to come out of our profits. So we're going to pass it on now to the customer who is going to be the save on foods and, and all the people who are the got the receiving docks for our trucks when we come and unload. We'll pass that cost on to them. And they're saying, well, we're not going to eat it. It's not going to come out of our profits. We're going to pass it on to our customers who buy what we have in our warehouses. And, the, and those stores, the Save-Ons and all those guys that are now at the retail level, they're saying, well, we're not going to eat it. It's not coming out of our bottom line. We're going to pass it on to the customer who's coming in and buying those, that fresh fruit and groceries and canning and everything else. We'll let them pay. So at the end of the day, every single increase in cost gets passed on to the last guy in the line. It just gets passed on to the last guy in the line. That's us. Yeah. That's us. And we incur the whole cost. Nobody's going to, you know, reduce their margin on their, on their profit or their, uh, you know, their way of staying healthy in business. They can't afford to. They've got margins that they have to meet to stay healthy and stay in business, and they're not going to keep letting other forms of uh, government taxation keep eroding that. They're going to keep passing it on. So we need to have our money someplace that has the ability to keep pace with that. So what and where can we put our money that would be considered inflation-proof? Mm-hmm. Well, in times of high inflation, like right now, you need to be looking at uh, assets that are somewhat undervalued compared to things like housing that's overvalued right now. It's at all-time high. Stock market's at an all-time high. You can make money in those right now, but it's not a good place to store money. So I think there's a there's probably at least, what, four or five that we know of that that would be good places to to prepare and store wealth so that it can be transferred into um, inflation-proof kind of spaces? Well, if you just have your money sitting in cash and it's on deposit someplace, you're making a small amount of interest. That's not inflation-proof. And, you know, in a lot of cases, that interest is even have to claim it as taxable income. And so that's not a solution either. And usually when you have your money on deposit, you've just given up the control of it to someone else. Mm-hmm. So you need something that's in your asset bubble that you can actually control the use of that money. So in personally, we've looked at um, gold bullion, silver bullion, silver coins, gold coins. It's something real. It has a value. You can look at it. You can store it. You can trade with it, barter with it. And I believe that over the longer term, that's a way of uh, preserving the value from inflation and taxation of some of our family's assets that can also be uh, transferred on to the family without any tax consequences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Basically, there's, we're not in the business of buying and selling and trading gold and silver, so there's no tax consequences like buying a piece of art or you know a fancy car stuck in your garage, except Antique, it's whatever. going to hold its value better than a lot of those things. Yeah. You know? And of course, there's another place that we store our wealth, and that's in our, in our. I, I, it's going to be hard to say, in a whole life insurance property, uh, policy properly designed. It's got to be participating, dividend paying, with high cash values. Currently, that's a tax-free environment to store your family wealth. Currently, the company we use 
is a privately owned company. They've not missed a dividend payment in excess of 75 years. And they've averaged an annual rate of return for the last 25 years of just under 8%. So 8% tax-free growth over 25 years and never missed a dividend payment and your money's never lost value or gone backwards. You show me one place where you can put your money with that kind of a guarantee or that kind of assurance or that kind of a track record. That's not, that doesn't require you to be completely hands-on on something like. Exactly, it's a know. safe place to store your money within the laws of Canada that the government's keeping their hands off of it. It's an insurance policy on your life. The other benefit is, is you can access that cash along the way while you're alive for any purpose you want. You don't need to apply for it. It's just, it's there for you to use because we created it this way. But the other thing is, is all of the proceeds of that money get passed on to your beneficiaries, no matter who they are, tax-free on death. So it's a way of transitioning your family's wealth from one generation to the next and also to the next without tax consequences and still have access to use the money for a small interest rate in comparison to the taxes you would pay on any other money that you got anyplace else. So it's one more place to put some of our store, some of our family's wealth that's going to protect us from inflation, from taxation, and also our estate for family preservation or estate preservation purposes. Not many people are talking about it. Not many people are proponents of permanent insurance, but in 2012, 2011, 2012, I saw a program, Becoming Your Own Banker, that changed my life. And it had to do with using uh, this specific permanent whole life dividend paying insurance policy as one of the tools that you're required to, to, mm -hmm. to put it into place. And it's changed how I view everything and how I, how I do business. Well, it's changed all of our all lives. Of it. yeah. It's put us all on a different path of seeing money differently, yeah. mm -hmm. seeing currency differently, and seeing how we value yeah. everything we do, where we put our money, the control we have over our money, who has control over our money. Yeah. It's, it's put so many different things in a different light for us to see the truth behind it and the truth behind the system that we have set up for us that yeah. is literally set up against us mm -hmm. every and step of the for way. For me, like even, um, like it's one of the tools that um, I actually did a, a, a single uh, person podcast uh, on our show um, about my story and I posted it last year I think it was in either the end of January or beginning of February of um, about where I was at and how I was at where I was at financially and how I had restructured all my things and I was using a whole life policy as part of um, uh, of everything and I said to myself I said in the podcast well I'm if something crazy were to happen and I was going to not be able to work and I lost all my income. Currently, I'm in a financial position right now to not work for two years and still be okay. And the majority of the people out there would be pretty screwed if it was two months of no income. Um, so what happened a month and a bit later? All of a sudden, there was a full-on lockdown and shutdown of the whole world. And that's exactly what happened and because of what i had structured um i had the flexibility to weather through that storm no problems i was not stressed it's still stressful last year was a stressful year to figure out what the heck is going on and 
all this uncertainty that's all been going around. But at the same time, there was a lot more certainty in my life because I had things in order um, and because I had set up this whole life policy. And that's the other part of it that I constantly need to think myself and and actually tell other people about too is you shouldn't really think of it as an insurance policy. You should think about it as an investment. It's an investment that has a whole bunch of other features attached to it, including insurance, mm-hmm. right? So the insurance is just a bonus. The insurance is mostly a bonus overall, on top of the of what everything else. Um, it's an investment. Um, it's a and it's one of the best investments that you can make because um, of all of the future tax consequences that are not there. Like, well, have you ever heard of the magic of compound interest? Yeah. The magic of compound interest that only kicks in after 30 years. It's like the 31st or the 32nd years when you start to actually see the compounding going vertical and starting to like do something amazing. Right. You can't get compounding any of those, any of those other times before that. And the, any of it, if there's any interruption to that money for any reason, a stop, a slowdown, a redemption, or whatever, that completely resets the clock again and screws everything up and you got to wait more years. Compounding doesn't happen. Right. Unless you're going to be able to um, wait that out. You just go and look at the actual m- numerical cycles of compounding in a spreadsheet and you wait for it to all of a sudden start to go vertical on that thing and it's on the 31st iteration that it starts to go crazy. Well, that's where a lot of people, you know, every financial advisor talks about most one of the foundations, you know, start investing early and let compound interest grow your money for you. That's a joke. You show me one place where you've been putting your money where you've seen compounding happen. Yep. In the bank, yeah, you're making 1% interest and that interest gets reinvested and gets reinvested. How, how long is it going to take for your money to double at that rate? Oh, that's compounding. Yeah, well, how may, how long are you going to settle for that kind of low rate of return before you're like going to lose interest and say, well, my money's not growing. It's compounding, but it's not growing to anything that I need to happen. So I got to get more aggressive with the money. So you change the whole thing. So I don't know of anybody who's enjoying compounding outside of inside these whole life insurance policies that we use. There's true compounding happen and you don't ever stop that compounding it's tax-free compounding growth within the policy Mm -hmm. that you're enjoying never goes backwards never loses money and yet you can access that money whenever you want you can access it if you need to borrow against it you don't cash it in you don't take it out you say I've got this cash in here and I'm gonna borrow against it this is my collateral the insurance company says well it's your money anyways of course we'll lend it to you Mm -hmm. we'll lend you other money Mm -hmm. ironically the question I had for them was, well, what other money? What other money? Where did you get that money? And guess what they said? Well, you know, all those people who buy term insurance? Well, we have to do something with all that money. We have to put it to work. Who best to lend that money to is all of our policyholders who have permanent policies. There's really very little risk involved. Why not lend it to them and charge them interest, of course? Yeah. Um, so we're borrowing basically money from the insurance company that we're actually a shareholder in and uh, participating in the success of the company and, and how that money's put to work. And by the way, an insurance company is like the masters at risk management. Who best to look after our money and manage it than an insurance company? Mm-hmm. 
Nice. I never viewed that before. Yeah. But they're the most stable place you want to put your money in most cases. Mm-hmm. And so you can access the money and compare a little bit of interest that you would pay to use that money to whatever taxes you would pay if you used any other source of funds. You know, you got money in RSPs, you take that out, you're taxed on it, it's added to your income as if it was overtime. You know, the list goes on and on about the challenges. So to have a tax-free environment that's compounding and growing uninterrupted every single year is almost unheard of in the financial marketplace. Why is it that these whole life permanent policies, dividend paying, are one of the best kept financial secrets in the entire financial world? Why? Because that's not in the best interest of most financial institutions. Well, yeah, most of the financial the institutions, government. the government, and uh, all the advisors out there that are making money, all the hedge fund people, all of the insurance companies, or sorry, all of the um, investment companies, mutual fund managers, all those people are all making money off of that money flowing through that system. Exactly. And uh, when you put it through somewhere else, that they, they don't want that money to be going somewhere else. They want it to be going through their system so they can all get a piece of it as it's moving. Right key point you just said the word moving if money's not moving nobody's making money with it the money needs to keep moving for all of us yeah whether it's the banks whether it's us as individuals whether it's uh, shoppers whether the money has to keep moving you stop the movement of money and nothing happens and it benefits nobody at that point yeah i don't so, know if the world realized how close we were to some major catastrophe last year when they shut everything down for you know two weeks a month two months and like if they hadn't started like pumping money back into the economy and getting everyone back to work and getting people to do things um shit would have fallen apart Uh it would have like we were fairly close and but people didn't know no one told you right no one was going to tell you how close we were but it was it was probably a pretty fine line well, let's look at the, the practical side of it, the reality of our experience right here in this office. You know, some businesses carried on and stayed busy. Yep. Other businesses ended up shutting down. We had to lock our doors from March till almost September. Yep. And so our revenues were off about 70% in this business. Yeah. Now, we could weather the storm. We haven't taken a paycheck out of the business in two years. I'm not, a, I, just the way it is. We haven't needed to or wanted to. And we didn't take any money out of the business, but there wasn't there wasn't a lot there to take out either. So you look at your expenses, and we have our office here in the in the penthouse of the Coast Hotel. We have to pay rent, we have to pay all our licensing fees. All of the expenses are still the same as they were before COVID. Yeah. But now all of a sudden, if this thing carries on much longer, and our revenues are still seventy percent less than what they were previously, we're going to give up the office. And so is a lot of other businesses. They're going, to, they're going to move out. They're going to shut down. And what's going to happen to all the landlords who own those properties that were relying on rental income to stay afloat? Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, it's yeah. affecting a whole lot more people than just the business and the people that they used to hire and their customers. Now, you've just shortchanged the landlords and the people who used to rent from and help you do business. They're going out of business, too, because there's no cash flow going to them. And, oh, by the way, if they're not having any money, they can't pay their accountants. They can't pay their lawyers. They can't pay anybody else. So it starts crimping and affecting and and working through the entire financial system. And these guys that are making these decisions, these healthcare professionals in Vancouver and in Ottawa, don't have a clue about economic disaster, plus the actual health of people who are struggling 
from from depression, from, from being else. lonely, from uh, you know all of the stuff that's causing them more problems than COVID ever would yeah. or did. Yeah. You know, you think about the, it's it's disastrous. It's a disastrous thing to stop the money supply. Why are they still doing it? Yeah, people they don't understand. They don't understand that side of it. They are seeing everything through the lens of the medical side of it and their expertise. And I totally believe in that. But at the same time, like they, they don't understand these implications and a whole bunch of them are not measurable right now. Mm -hmm. We can't measure how many children were abused this last year mm -hmm. because they had to stay home with their abusive parents. Mm -hmm. We don't know how many lives were screwed up because of that. We can already see how many overdoses in our province have gone uh, last year compared to any other year. Yeah. It's an epidemic as well mm -hmm. because it is, it's crazy. So there's a whole bunch of other things that we won't even know about. Everyone's cortisol levels were through the roof last year and probably still are right now. And that is detrimental to your health. But you can't tell that right now. That's going to show up in three years when all of a sudden way more people have cancer, way more people have failing organs and all these other things that are these problems from that being we in don't fight or know flight right mode now. Consistently. Yeah, from being in this fight or flight mode. It's that's a problem and again it's like looking at things from another point of view and that on the economy side of it like that they they don't understand that side of it all they're looking at is the data that they have and they're doing the best with what they can so i want to be like i don't want to this is the other part of what's happening right now is that everyone's so stressed out about things that when you say something slightly off uh, off key about the medicals, uh, you know, making their decisions about how the, everything's working and how it affects the economy. Everyone freaks out mm -hmm. and everyone um, flies off the handle and has their opinion and has their fear based reactions to it because of all this cortisol, because of everything that's happened. Um, so thinking rationally isn't as common as it used to be anymore. So I want to be careful about that when we're talking about this on the podcast. Do, 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 do people understand that? Um, and don't go crazy uh, keyboard warriors on us about this because um, we understand that side of it too. But really, there's there's so many more pictures to be thought about. Mm -hmm. There's not just the one picture of how COVID-19 is affecting us on a physical level uh, and how it's being transmitted and all those things. It, there are so many more aspects to this and the decisions that are being made and how it's affecting the world in a crazy way so mm -hmm. that's that's that okay so we're still kind of way off topic of where we can store our money uh, but we're doing pretty good um, with a whole bunch of things to do with that so we kind of have gotten to the point where we we had the real estate is a good place to uh, to have your money in, in a way because it can keep up with inflation but um, with the idea of maybe not having um, you owning the property, maybe eventually getting to the point where the, the property can help pay for itself. I think that that sort of is going to appeal to those people who aren't afraid to become a landlord and have the responsibility yeah. of, of uh, rental properties. And that rental kind properties, of running an Airbnb. We, we realize that, that yeah. right? But it's a way of a person structuring their current affairs a little bit differently if, they, if they're able to that could significantly change how that money is being controlled yeah. and uh, how you have access to it from an economic point of view, but also a practical point of view. Yeah. You mentioned about the health and uh, the finance kind of struggle. I've had some people say to me, 
well, you know, why even worrying about the financial side of it? People are dying. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you know, this is all tied together because people are going to be dying because of the financial situation they're in for lots of lots of different reasons besides COVID. Totally. Mm-hmm. You know, they're afraid to run to the doctors now to get checked out when they have some symptoms of something else going wrong because they're afraid to go or they've been discouraged to go. Yeah. And so there's a whole lot bigger discussion going on here than just health care. Of course, we care about people that are dying. Of course, we want to protect our own family and everyone else. Yeah. However, there's a whole lot more going on here that needs to be also, people need to be aware of. It's not just a one-track solution to this problem that we have very little control over. Mm-hmm. Absolutely very little control. Um, the other place you can put your money um, that, that we have found is really good is the whole life insurance policy because Again, that's uh, going to be less reliant on uh, the problem of how, of the government printing more money and just flooding the market with more money and filling up a bubble um, with empty air. And what one else? other thing is it's, um, it's fiscally responsible mm-hmm. the way these policies are designed and how if you've got $100 in cash value in your policy, the insurance company says, look, we'll lend you 90 of it. Yeah. Not 10 times what you got in there, which is fractional the reserve banking, That's which is the problem. Do. It's responsible banking, saying mm-hmm. you got 100 bucks, I'll lend you 90 of it for now. And uh, you can choose to pay it back when you want, if you want. But that's all we're going to lend you. That's responsible financial management. Yeah. And that needs to be permeated in a whole lot more of our economy mm-hmm. if we're going to start wondering about how to preserve the value of what this country has available to us and then how we can manage that money. So there's there's a short list. There's not a lot of places that I'm aware of, not a lot of places where we can put our money that's going to protect it, that's going to keep pace with inflation, and also have potential for growth without a lot of risk associated with it. Mm-hmm. You guys got any other ideas? Um, just to go back to the housing stuff, mm-hmm. and I had an idea over kind of the last year or so, because I have uh, an Airbnb at the house, and um, my wife has one in her building at her office, and they both do very well. We make really good money every year, and I've encouraged my brother to start one in his house. I've encouraged uh, our other friends. Um, they had multiple that they've done well the last year and a half, two years uh, with them. And I realized that right now, I don't wanna be putting my money into housing to purchase a house because housing's at an all-time high. I, it's a really bad time for me to buy more property. But how do I continue to get monthly income without owning the property? So I had an idea where instead of purchasing the real estate right now, why don't I use the money I have to find some places to lease off somebody that I can sublease it on Airbnb? So I'm going to rent it from somebody that already owns the real estate and they just want the monthly income to guarantee that they can pay their bills and make a bit of money. And so say I rent like uh, uh, upstairs or uh, even a basement suite, let's say for $1,000 a month. And I furnish that suite for let's say two grand, maybe, maybe 2,500, a bit more. And I put that on Airbnb. And now all of a sudden I can make, just based off of our own houses, like let's say 2,200 to three grand a month on that one and I don't even own the property. And so it's just another way of making income. Yeah, okay, I have to like set up the cleaners and they can have access to the schedule, but a lot of that can be automated now. So I was like, okay, well, what what about doing that? What if I find some places that would allow me to sublease 
And the way that Airbnb works is everybody's um, rated and like every time you leave or you host somebody, each side rates each other. And so it's very like you, you can't mess with it and you can't be a poor host or a poor renter and get away with it anymore, mm-hmm. yeah. which is it's is a huge part of renters. And that whole game that you have to be a, a slumlord or, a, a you know, a landlord. You typically if you if you charge the right amount and you review the the person's reviews they've had done on them at other stays that they've stayed at you'll know the quality of person you're getting before you even accept whether they can stay there or not Mm -hmm. so there's all these these circuit breakers in place for you to secure who you're getting in your house and if they can be trusted to be in your space or not but then another way that you can make income without owning any real estate you can make thousands of thousands of dollars uh, every month without owning any real estate now putting putting that money aside so that when everything crashes and changes the wealth cycle changes and and housing drops you have money sitting on the side to be able to purchase a whole bunch more mm-hmm. yeah access to capital that's another another topic that yeah. we'll have on our on our podcast is um, the idea of creating access to capital in one way or another but i think that we will call this episode done for now uh, there's lots of um, information in here and again we are kind of like pushing up 47 minutes on this one that's pretty good um, so um, did we talk about gold and silver no we didn't talk about gold and silver I mean gold and silver if you want to talk about those we, we have talked about them here and there and, and in lots of other episodes too but I get that's somewhere to put your money 100% where it will not be totally tied to inflation well, it's, it's yeah, like, it's kept because, up with inflation. It's kept up with inflation through literally the course of time. Yeah, so it doesn't matter how much um, the government is going to print money, uh, the gold and silver is going to be still valued at the appropriate amount um, at I that have time. A question. Yeah. Why is it that all the people involved in the financial industry don't promote gold and silver? They can't make money off they it either. They can't make any money as right. money's passing by. Right. They might get a one little commission, but they're very little trailers. There's not any dividends being issued. So yeah. they're not interested in it because that's not how they make money. Yeah, they can't that's make money doing it. That's not how they're fed. Yeah. But from my perspective, as a financial advisor, I, I've come to realize that that's, it's not that there's anything wrong with gold and silver. It's just like they can't make any money off it. They'd rather you be buying a mutual fund or buying a segregated fund or buying some other stock or something else. Right. Yeah. They've got other vested interests that their lifestyles have been funded by yeah putting and, it in a and house. they can justify some of it putting it in a house right every realtor makes money every insurance place makes money every every notary banker, banker notary lawyer everybody appraiser, else making money appraiser house inspector right you know all those different things yep. even the person that comes and certifies your your fireplace the wet get it wet certified if you have a a, a wood fireplace mm. Like there's all these different people who make money off of off of putting your money through that direction, right? Right. So yeah, that's totally it. And the, the I mean, the um, the liquidity. That's what that's what something that the those financial advisors will say. Well, you, you know, you can have better access to your your mutual funds. You can cash them in. You know, pay some taxes on them or whatever. Um, if you if you need to, but you can get access to it. It's it might be a little bit harder to sell a to sell some ounces of gold or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not quite so liquid. Um, to be able to do that and get access to, to, to then go 
buy stuff with that with that gold. Yeah, but um, it's one that you could take anywhere in the world, and yeah. it's worth the same amount, and has the same value, I should say. Yeah. And purchasing power, anywhere you go in the world. Yeah. Yeah, and you go to the right place with that, you know, couple ounces of gold, you can say, hey, well, I, I'd like to stay in the penthouse of this hotel in in Rome for the next three months. Here's two ounces of gold. What do you think about that? And I bet you that the uh, they would the manager that. of that hotel would be like, you know what? That sounds great to us. Mm -hmm. Well, help. let me help you up, Mr. Johnson. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, even though it's not cash, even though it's not euros, even though it's not whatever um it still has it still has that value well it's recognized around the world yeah as a common it has a common value to everyone yeah. so that's something to think about really is one of those things that it's kind of universal but again you know the majority of the the economy the world economy and all that they can't make money from it um, all these different and you have to remember that the banks and the go and the government mostly the banks they they manipulate the price of gold and silver they yeah, are keeping it to. artificially low so that it doesn't look like a great place to store your money or have uh, investments in. Yeah. And so the reason that it takes off and goes crazy in a depression or in a recession or any time that there's some great swing is because everybody loses confidence, confidence. in the currency. And, and so the government loses the ability to control the price of gold and silver because Everybody knows that it's deep down inside. They know that it's a safe haven asset and they flood back in. And that's what just drives the price up because they can't control the price once the money starts moving into it. It just takes off, right? Yeah. So the other side of it is, is when you take um, a, a bar of gold bullion and it might be in your safe, it might be in a safety deposit box, it might be on in a storage at a bank. Brink storage. Doesn't matter where it is. It stops where it's stored, and the use of it and the value of it is not available for anybody else to benefit from unless they're charging you a storage fee or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. But that's money that's taken out of circulation and is not being used, and nobody's making a living off of it. But yet it's still keeping up with inflation. It's keeping up with inflation. So, you know, how much money should you have in gold and silver? Uh, anywhere from 5 to 10% would be appropriate in my view, because um, it doesn't hurt anything. You can have actual gold coin, uh, the Canadian Maple Leafs, or you can have buy little little slices or wafers or you know different sizes of gold depending on how much you want to invest. And it's real. And because of how it's packaged and whatnot, you don't have to get it reweighed or uh, assayed, they call it, um, each time you it changes hands. And anybody who's interested in buying gold, they just look at what the spot price of gold is or the retail value of gold to determine what today's price or value is for it. And um, that's what you can try and sell it for. Mm -hmm. And so there there is a market for it because there's a lot of people interested. We're watching all the time for opportunities to pick up some, some gold. But tons of it, just small amounts here or there, you know, slowly accumulate it. At a reasonable price, that's what we're looking for, yeah. and um, and have that as part of part of your estate could be sold and used if needed, but it's more of an emergency uh, protection fund to protect some of your assets from all the other things that are eroding our current dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have a slightly different opinion on on the quantity that I want to have because 
of my belief on where we are in 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 the in the ride right now and i i feel like we are very close to having um gold and silver going from extremely undervalued and controlled down there to being very very overvalued not overvalued but valued at what it should be worth compared to the currency and so i i i, I probably have at least probably at least 40 to 50% of my wealth currently right now is stored in gold and silver and that's only because I've been studying it for years and believe that there is something major coming that the wealth will be transferred into that and and the payoff is going to be astronomical yeah and right now that's what you're comfortable with having that ratio of that amount in there totally and you could still you know that entire amount could become not accessible to you for or, or however much time and you'd still be okay your your lifestyle and everything else works for that so that's one of those things mm-hmm. um and you're still young so you still have like it's not like you're you're basing you're going to retire in two years and and you know s- stuff might fall apart and then all of a sudden you don't have any money to to live anymore right or whatever so that's perfectly acceptable for you and where you're at where in your life mm-hmm. totally so that's like, everyone has to figure that out for, and uncomfortable with it because yeah. of what i've learned how much what, because studied. of what yeah. i see in yeah. my own life and and in the government and the banks and everything around me and what i've witnessed and learned from yeah from our own experiences that that makes sense to me and i understand it yeah and there's so many people like that's that it all depends on on what you're comfortable with and what you're willing to invest your time and energy into as well too like i know somebody who made 900 bucks in a day the other day on the stock market um, because they spend a lot of time and effort in managing and looking at all that stuff and then um, buying and selling at the appropriate times hmm. um, just based on what they knew. So that's what they were comfortable with and it worked out for them that particular time. I think that but highlights uh, an important um, issue as well is, is understand what you're investing in. Yeah, you need to really you understand know, it. You shouldn't be just dabbling in everything. Get to know what you're investing in. Don't totally rely on somebody else. Yeah. Um, it's your money and you need to be either not just interested, but, uh, you know, if you, if you're passionate about it, then, then you're going to be on top of your game and do the best you can to learn about it. But so many people can't be bothered to put the effort in. They just, oh, hearsay, oh, so-and-so's investing in this or investing in that. So, you know, I'm going to invest in that too. You know nothing about it. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, those are, those are foolish ways of investing, foolish ways of putting your money to work. Yeah. Um, there's not enough extra money around. You know, unless you start putting the money to, I mean, you made a good point about investing your money in things that generate income. Like, so f- changing your focus on income generating tools, whether it's mutual funds, whether it's a business, whether it's, it doesn't matter what it is, have it generating income, even lending money. So you talked about, well, maybe you don't want to own the house, but you want to participate in that. Well, what if you were actually the banker and you lended your money to somebody else who wanted to finance their home? So now you're the one making that 50% uh, for the first 10 years of interest on your money while they're paying you back. You're making the 50% instead of the banker. What's wrong with that as an investment? So investing in private mortgages. And there's ways to do that. Yeah. There's, there's things in place where we can use our own RSP money, our private money, uh, in mortgages and lend that money out. Because what does it say in the Bible about being a lender rather than a borrower? Mm-hmm. 
right? So we, if we want to be a lender, well, how does that look? Well, let's figure out ways to start lending our money and earning a whole lot higher rate of return than saving it and letting somebody else lend it and make all the money, Yeah. right? Yeah. That's exactly Again, what's going on. becoming your own banker. You're becoming not only your own banker, but you can become other people's banker. Well, That's and you can be have your own family bank yeah. if you all start working together. Yeah. Oh, it's the best financial tool we've ever discovered. It is. Period. Yeah. Yep. Hands down. And it's yep. a, an entire, not, not only a tool, but it's like a concept, a different way of thinking um, that's getting out of the regular economy, the regular um, banking system. Mm -hmm. It's thinking differently. Mm -hmm. so. And if you're listening to this and hearing what we're saying, a lot of it is going to go, what? Yeah. I don't get it. This is not what I've, how have I never heard about this before? Yeah, been how have I not been taught this? This has literally been kept from us. For a long time. So, anyway, it's time for us to bring it to you. We are going to close off this uh, podcast episode for now, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. If you like this episode, you're going to love our free online workshop that explains the concept and many others in more detail. The True Wealth Workshop will give you the tools to get out of debt quicker, get your finances in order the right way. Sign up for the free online workshop at mycustombank.com.